Hi, it's Jennifer Diane Ghostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. You may have wondered what reunion looks like from an adoptee's point of view, or be embarking upon taking that journey yourself to search for your first family, or simply want confirmation that you are not alone in your experience, wherever you are on the path of healing and pushing through a trauma. Wouldn't it be empowering to have many of your burning questions answered here? You are about to hear from Kate Murphy, an adoptee and an adoption-competent licensed therapist. I had the opportunity to meet her when co-facilitating Adoptee Voices Cohort 3 on Mondays, created by Sarah Easterly. You might know her to be a guest on this podcast on Episode 6. In September 2021, during the NAAP in-person conference, I met Kate face-to-face. We attended workshops together, and I got the chance to experience her authentic kindness. We hit it off from the beginning of meeting, and in this episode, you will come to understand her appreciation of hearing the journeys of adoptees in search of healing. Kate Murphy was adopted during the Baby Scoop era, Her long search for family yielded results through the wonder of DNA in 2015. Now in reunion, she finds peace and acceptance through a connection with other people who were adopted. Allow me to introduce you to someone who is knowledgeable about adoption being a trauma, and her lived experience as an adoptee gives her an added layer of expertise. She shares a part of her personal journey of adoption commitment to the community, and work as a professional helping other adoptees. It is my belief that you will enjoy my conversation with Kate Murphy. Well, hello, Kate. I'm so glad we're going to have this conversation today. Yeah. Hi, Jennifer, and thanks for inviting me. Well, first of all, let's start with Adoptee Voices, because I think you're such a natural as a co-facilitator with Sarah and I. It's been really a joy working with you with Cohort 3 on Mondays, writing from an emotional playground. Are you enjoying it? Oh, my gosh, so (laughs) much. And it was such a pleasant surprise to be asked to to join. Yeah, it's been wonderful. I I love writing, and I love hearing people's stories. And the group that we have is just really amazing. And working with you and Sarah has been so it's really um, insightful, but also so much fun. You know, when we're planning it, we have so much fun, I think. Yeah, I'm so yeah. glad I have the opportunity. I'm glad Sarah extended it to me as well. And I think we do have a really great group of writers, and I like listening to adoptees share their story mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, I'm glad we're all doing that together. And the opportunity to meet you in person at the NAAP in-person conference 2021 was fantastic. I was like, this is so cool. Cause you know, when you see people on zoom and, you know, virtual spaces, mm-hmm. it's really nice, but it's like icing on top of the cake when you get to mm-hmm. see them in real life. So it was really a pleasure meeting you. Uh-huh. Same. I know I looked over and I saw you in your, your bright pink <laughs> jacket. I was like, oh, Jennifer in 3D. <laughs> no. we, don't, we don't have that opportunity as much anymore 
to meet people in real life. And it, yeah, that was great. And it was, it was a great experience overall. It was a yeah. really good conference. I'm so glad I, I went because I wasn't sure. I was kind of on the fence because of the pandemic, but I'm so glad I went and it was it was good. So I yeah. know that you're a therapist and probably some of the listeners know that too because your name comes up a lot. Tell me a little bit about what you do. Yeah, so I'm I'm a therapist in Atlanta, Georgia, I've lived here, gosh, like 20 years, but I'm actually from Southern California. I went back to school in my 40s to be a psychotherapist. I had wanted to do that when I went to school and went to college, you know, originally. I got sidetracked and had a different career. And, you know, it's interesting. It was actually after my first contact with biological family, and I, I didn't make this connection at the time. But it really spurred a lot of, well, a lot of feelings, but also a lot of time of transition. And I finally really got the courage. I was in a job that I really didn't like, which hadn't been the case. I had really enjoyed my career. But I, I was at a point where I was like, I don't even care if I work again. Mm. <laughs> I don't want to do this. Right. And that's not, that's not how I usually am. And I decided, oh, why don't I go back to grad school? I think this is the time uh, that I can do it and not feel uh, afraid of changing my life so much, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I did. And in doing that, I knew that as a part of my practice, I wanted to work with people who were adopted. And I've done that. And that's, you know, part of what I do. I work with people who are experiencing anxiety, life transitions, grief, and generally the roots of that are in childhood trauma, which, of course, adoption is as well. And so that's, that's what I do on a daily basis. And it's been life-changing. It has so much meaning for me. So, yeah. That's great. When I think of an adoptee being a therapist and helping other adoptees, that's very special. I guess we could talk a little bit about your adoption story as an adoptee. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> as you know, the adoption story is also always very uh, complex and, and so many patterns that we share, and yet everybody's story is really unique. But I was adopted during the baby scoop era. I'm, you know, mid-50s, and I always knew I was adopted, and I don't, I've heard a lot of your guests say they don't remember being told they were adopted, and I don't remember either. I just, I always knew. I'm always so grateful for that because my mother will tell the story that she wasn't going to tell me. Mm. You know, she felt like when she held me, I was hers and, you know, as many adoptive parents feel. And the social worker at the time said, no, you can't do that. Mm. You're going to have to tell her. And I think, thank goodness, because the late discovery adoption experience is just... I think it's one of the toughest things to to have to go through. It's so shattering to identity. Whoever that social worker was, I feel very grateful to. And I did too. Same mm-hmm. for me. The social worker in my case, I'm so thankful of what mm-hmm. she she advised or guided my mother to do. And I'm I'm glad my mother listened. Mm-hmm. So my mother didn't necessarily listen to anybody that said something that she didn't agree with. 
right, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I think the same, but it's sort of amazing that she took that advice. Right. Um, and in some ways, not, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and so I, I, I grew up knowing. I was not, I was a kid who was definitely, when people would say, do you want to meet your real parents? As they get asked all the time, which is, you know, kind of terrible, really. But I would always say no. I was very, very strict to the, I don't need to, I'm not going to, my parents are my parents. And I, I stayed in that space for a very long time. Was that and as a kid? or As a kid, mm-hmm. as a teenager, as a young adult. I asked my mom about meeting. I, I told her I was interested in meeting my biological parents or looking for them. Maybe not meeting, but looking for them. And she wrote away to the, I was born in Arizona, to the Arizona Children's Association, the agency where I was adopted from, to find out how I could search. She got sort of a manila envelope full of information about how you would start a search. And she gave it to me. And she gave it to me with a little notepad in it. I still have like a little sheet of notepad paper. And it said things like social worker or foster mother with Mrs. Flowers, some, some basic information. We think, you know, my father thought he saw the last name Schultz on some paperwork. And then this last note was like, depends how badly they don't want to be found. And so, so she had this little notepad and, and I found it gosh, probably three or four years later, stuffed in a dining room drawer. I never did anything with it, and I don't honestly remember asking her about it. And Mm. then, yeah, and so in Arizona, you have to, and and this is true to this day, you have to hire a confidential intermediary to do your search for you. And they'll negotiate talking to the biological parent if they can be found in, in you and kind of mediating that reunion. Mm-hmm. Sounds like your mom was very supportive. She was, and she has been very supportive to this day. Mm-hmm. You know, I think at times it's painful, but really for the most part, she's fascinated by what I find. She's very surprised that I felt lost as a child, very surprised about the feelings that I felt through this search. And she can certainly go into well, if you're feeling these things, I must not have done a very good job, which is, of course, not the point. Right. I think our moms mm-hmm. were very much alike, but uh, yeah, go <laughs> yes. ahead. I re- yes, yes. And having read your book, I would say you are a little bit correct there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and so at that time, you know, I had a list of phone numbers because it was, you know, before... There was the internet and there was websites, but it really was a little before that. It was probably late 90s. So I called a lot of phone numbers of these CIs, confidential intermediaries, and no one called me back. And I kind of forgot about it again for a while. And every once in a while, I'd every couple of years, I'd maybe think about it again. Websites got a little bit better and they'd have like the contact page, you know, where you, you put your information in. And again, no one would ever contact me back and I'd forget about it. I didn't have enough steam at that point to follow through. And so as I was like early 40s, late late 30s, early 40s, when I thought I really need to, I really want to do this and I really want to put some energy into it. 
at that point, you know, we're kind of 2007, 2006, somewhere in there, and websites are much better. I'm able to, to email somebody, and she gets back to me right away, a confidential intermediary, and we talk, and she's lovely. She has me read The Girls That Went Away. Oh, my God, I sobbed my eyes out because I had never really... I had never really spent a lot of time thinking about what that experience was. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I just didn't know that much. And I had suspected that it would be a tragic story, but I hadn't really spent time. And so I did that. And then three days later, she found her. It was incredible. And that's pretty quick. I know it was really (laughs) quick because she really just had to get, you know, she could open my files so she could see the original birth certificate. And then it was just a matter of, you know, hunting down this name. Mm-hmm. And so, and I remember the thing to me that when I think about it now is surprising, but my first thought was like, oh my gosh, she didn't forget me, you know? Right. This, yeah, the, the woman, her name was Laura, this confidential intermediary, said she, she's always thought about you, she's always remembered you, and that part right there was just like, oh my goodness, I, I just wasn't prepared for that. My birth mother wanted to kind of give letters back and forth in, with, um, without identifying ourselves mm-hmm. so anonymous. And she wanted me to write a letter first. And so I did, which was a very strange thing to do. And then Laura was going to need us to get our identification notarized to prove we were who we said we were. Mm. Mm-hmm. Was it a and long also, letter or a short letter? It was like a page. Mm-hmm. I still have it. And mm. it... Yeah, because it never got sent, because she refused to do the notarized, the notarization, you know, of her identification. Oh. Mm-hmm. And so then uh, she said no, and I don't want you to contact me again mm-hmm. to Laura. And Laura said, you know, this hardly ever happens. I was like, oh, well, great. And so that was the end of that, and I felt like... I felt all the feelings that mm. I had really not felt. I was so, so angry yeah. because it felt so out of my control because right. there was nothing more Laura could do. And she said, I could open up a search for my birth father. And this part, in hindsight, really angers me because he's not listed on my birth certificate. And she knew that. I would have done a whole other search only to find that out, which seems a little shady mm-hmm. in hindsight. But so, so she was gone, and I really, you know, thank goodness I had a therapist at the time who was pretty understanding of adoption, and she was a great therapist just overall. And so working through those feelings, that was, that was rough, and that, that to me really felt like coming out of the fog or whatever sort of word you want to apply to. Right. But, just so I'm clear, initially she seemed on board, and then she just switched gears. She just switched gears. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you don't know why. Well, I know why now. Okay. And, and the reason is she had never told anybody. Mm. She had told her mother and father. She was given, you know, three things she could do. She could go somewhere and get an abortion. She could, you know, parent me, but be cut out of the family. She was only 19 years old. She was in college her first year. Or she could place me for adoption mm. and never speak of it again. That was a rule. Mm. That was a rule with her parents. With her parents. Wow. Which is just... 
That's heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it just seems that birth moms, a lot of them that I've talked to, if they had only had support, you know, it kind of makes me emotional because if only they had had support from their parents and the family. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I think she's probably at this stage of her life a little torn between did she really want to keep me? I think there's part of her that did. And probably part of her that thinks this was the right decision, but she for sure did not want to get an abortion. Both my birth father and her father really pushed for that. She did not want, she didn't want that. Mm -hmm. And so, as you can imagine, (laughs) I later did find her. So I went went through that process, and then, gosh, it was 2015, 2014, something like that. This is my own. This is my DNA. I can do what I want with it. I don't have to have a bunch of rules, you know, and I don't have to depend on someone else. Right. You know, as an adopted person, that was very appealing. And so I did that and I got, you know, I got my, and and by the time too, I should note, I had gotten my non-identifying information from the agency. And Mm -hmm. so I knew a little bit more about what had happened. I knew a little bit more about my ethnicity and, and things like that. And so I had that information to go on when I was, searching through Ancestry and through the names. You know, I was connected with, I think, two people that that led to my discovery on both sides of the family that were second cousins. And so we found, um, I found my paternal family fairly quickly because my grandfather had a pretty um, detailed obituary. And I found out really right in that moment that his son, who was my birth father, had died a year after I found my birth mother. So I could have I could have met him. He would have been alive. Really kinda of heartbreaking. Yeah. And and also represents some anger. You know, not as much now, but it, it really did. And he had another son that was born a year after me. His same sort of situation of unplanned pregnancy in college. It was his second girlfriend after my birth mother. And she said, oh, no, I'm having this child. I'm keeping this child. Mm. She told her parents. Her parents told his parents. And together they decided you two will get married. Wow. And that's what they did. You know? <laughs> wow. <Yeah>. Talk <laughs> about support. There was support all around. That was different, right? Like two very different stories. Yeah. Yeah. And they were married for 10 years. And it's my half-brother's mother who's still, she's been one of the most, wonderful people that I've met in this whole reunion. Oh, that's so um, cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And she's, she's got the similarities. of She does a lot of things that I do. And it's I keep thinking, like, oh, that's what I thought I was going to find in a birth mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and she still feels fondly about my birth father. And she'll say things like, I might see him in my dreams. Do you have any questions you want to ask? <laughs> oh, I like her. I like her. So you were able to learn a lot about him through her. Yes. Oh, that yeah. is so cool. Yeah, and I'm in reunion with my half-brother. You know, he lives many states away, so it's complicated. And right. He, but he has a daughter, and his daughter's face, actually, when she was, not so much now, but when she was a toddler, you know, I had found some pages, uh, pictures on Facebook, and I could really see for the first time, like, my face when mm-hmm. I was a toddler. It just, gosh, I remember crying in front of Facebook, you know, as I'm looking at this sweet little face. Right. My birth father, when I saw his face for the first time, 
my wife saw his face for the first time, she was like, oh, there it is. You look like him. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so I very, I favor that side of the family. The second cousin that was on Ancestry, she's sort of the family genealogist. She very quickly got in touch with my aunt and was like, do you want to, what should I do? And to this day, I'm friends friends with, she feels like family, my second cousin and her sister, and she lives here in Georgia. And that's just been a really, really great experience. Yeah. Finding my birth mother was harder. Her family was much less. They're just a real protected group of people. But there was an older woman who was the family genealogist who finally got back to me on Ancestry. You know, she was, she's like, I'm 92, got, you know, something like 20 grandchildren, and I had five kids, and I don't need more family, but I'll help you find your roots. (laughs) (laughs) That's matter of fact, huh? (laughs) Very matter of fact, yeah. And that is really the tone of that side of the family. Right. (laughs) I got a picture. Yes, I do. Yep. And she sent me all kinds of stuff and she was really, she actually was really sweet and her daughter was super sweet. And I think she got involved because she was like, here's this woman contacting my older mother. But they were lovely mm-hmm. um, to me. They gave me lots of great information. By then, I actually had figured out who my birth mother was through, you know, so much research as we all do. I really think adopted people could be, you know, they should have their own special branch in the CIA. Um, <laughs> I think, like, yeah. I think you were actually a detective, but I think that's where we all really have some skills. And so I called her. I waited till after Christmas. You know, I found family kind of in November. I had called in January. I got to like this special place where my phone had good reception. And I I called her. I was It was so nerve wracking. And I said, you know, um, are you where you can talk? I've got some information. I'm wondering if you know, you know, these people does this date meaning, you know, that whole thing. And, and she just said flat out to me, I'm not, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not your mother. And I'm like, I know you are, but I didn't say that. Mm-hmm. And, and I kept her on the line and it was just surreal. It was so heartbreaking. And I did manage to get her email and I said, you know, I've got some non-identifying information. This is somebody in your family. I'm related to you. So maybe you can take a look at it and see if you can help me. Mm-hmm. So I did that, and I sent her little, just little emails every month, kind of like, "Here's what's happening in my life," because I was just determined. I'm like, "Dang it, right? It's going to be good for you to know me, and it's going to be good for me." And right. I just felt in my bones, and so I don't know. Six or seven months later, I get this phone call. I'm driving home from school, actually, and you know, she's like, "Well." So as it turns out, I think I am your mother. Mm. And I was like, I know. <laughs> mm. And so we had a very long conversation. She told me lots of things, and she just talked and talked. It was the first time she told her story, I think, out loud in, you know, whatever it was at that point, like 48 years, and 49 years, something like that. Mm. So she told yeah. you that she had never told anyone, pretended never it never anyone. happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She had made a promise to her father, and that was that. Mm. Yeah, it was really sad. And, you know, to this day, we've met once. We exchange cards. It's all pretty surface. I, I just think it's just a very, you know, it's, it was a big trauma for her. So glad I found uh, that I found the people I found. It was all very 
hard and very worth it. And I, I think that's generally the case. Yeah. You know, as I work with, with other people as they go through the process of search and reunion or often are coming into therapy because they've gone through the really upsetting part. And because we don't talk about this in society, about the grief that you feel and the loss. And the loss, yeah. People don't understand what's hit them, right? It's like, oh my gosh, what is all of this deep feeling? And I think that's often what brings people into therapy. For sure. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I guess that goes right into to a question about the best thing about being connected to the adoption community. Mm-hmm. What would you say it is for you? You know, for me, the sense of connection that I thought I would get from birth family, I didn't get. Mm-hmm. I'm glad. And I know it is helpful in a certain way. But the deep grounding kind of connection of someone who understands what you're going through happens through the adoption community. Mm, well said. That happens through having friends that are adopted, you yeah. know, at midnight and say, oh, I found this picture, what do you think? And somebody will get back to you and immediately and be like, oh my God, your eyebrows, that's what it is. Right. Absolutely. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm right. glad you said that because I often think with my search and reunion, mm-hmm. what I really found was connection with the adoption community, with other people who were adopted, mm-hmm. other people who had suffered losses of this magnitude. And the connection with the community has been very profound for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the same. It's that coherent narrative. And when somebody can validate you in a way that is deeply like, and you know what you're saying, and you know that they do, that right there just settles your system. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, that's it. That's what I mean, you know? And hearing other stories mm-hmm. has helped me. That has really been healing. I didn't expect that either. Yes. Yeah, for me it was it was adoptees on mm-hmm. that really, I think... It would be, again, it was driving home from school. I had this long drive. And it was hearing these stories. It was like, oh, I felt that way. Yeah, I totally felt that way. And, and they're fascinating stories. Mm-hmm. Everybody's stories. But, but there's so many themes that are just like, yeah, that's it. Yeah. And, like, I've been mm-hmm. really connected in 2021 with transracial adoptees, which is, mm-hmm. yeah, like, totally not my experience and have I've learned so much in, in LDAs too. Like I just sitting in that space where all adoptees, but the layer that they have is definitely different. And, and I'm just, yeah, I'm just like still learning so much, even though I've been connected to the community for a while, I'm still learning so much to learn. Yeah, you put all these layers onto what is such a traumatic experience. And so being a transracial adoptee and not looking like your family and then so often the stories that that you, you hear and that I certainly hear, you know, both out in, in the community and in, in my therapist, you know, in my therapy room, but this level of discrimination that you might face in your own family, you know, mm-hmm. generally that's the first place that it's felt and it's just heartbreaking and unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, so much work to be done in, in that in that area for parents who adopt children who are who are so different than them 
So like in general or specifically, what makes a therapist adoption or adoptee competent? Yeah, that's the million dollar question. Um, (laughs) And it's it's not, you know, there's not a clinical description. So there is, there is one and the initials are TAC and for some gosh darn it. The name is escaping me. There is a, a program that is offered through, I believe, CASE, and I, where you can get a certification. And I did do that, and I had to, I had to leave kind of right before the end. That is out there. There's so many workshops that you can do, but I think essentially, as a therapist, one, you need to be able to believe and accept that relinquishment is trauma, whether it's at birth or in childhood, and having an attachment theory kind of point of view that informs your practice, I think is very important. If you can have some training in a brain and body-based type therapy so that you're working on sort of the things that get triggered in your nervous system and talk therapy, like kind of be able to work on both things, I think that's pretty important. But at the core, you've got to be someone that believes that adoption and relinquishment and things that come along with that is is trauma. Because if you're buying into the narrative that a lot happened before you could talk, or you got a great family, you're just going to be doing damage. Mm-hmm. Does, that, does that answer that? Yeah, very, very much so. Yeah, because okay. I'm, I'm thinking there may be a listener that wants to know you know, mm-hmm. specifically what to look for. I know here in Tennessee, you know, I looked online and I saw maybe about three or four therapists that said that mm-hmm. they're adoption competent. But when I was talking with them, I, I didn't get a sense of that. And I said, well, maybe I don't know what that is. I remember one therapist, I asked, had she heard of Primal Wound, for example, by Nancy Verrier? And she said, yeah, oh, yeah, I have. And I asked her, had she read? And she says, no, I haven't. And she to me, it felt like she should have read it. You know, I don't know. Like, I, that was kind of my prerequisite. But that might not have been a good prerequisite for me to have. Well, when I think about there's two things I want to mention. One, I think about grad school. Adoption was mentioned in one class when we were doing a family tree. I had asked, well, I was, a, you know, that family tree thing is so <laughs> triggering. <laughs> yeah. And so finally, here I was at, you know, 40-something. and like, I'm going to ask what we're supposed to do about this, finally. And I was like, I was adopted, and, you know, how are we supposed to, how are we supposed to make this family tree? And he's like, oh, wherever there's adoption, there's tragedy. And and then he just left it there. And mm. I was like, okay, you're right, and, <laughs> you know, how do I do this? It, it was just, that was sort of it. And so there's not, in most programs, I'm, I'm sure there's some out there, but in most programs, it's not even mentioned. So you've got to do your own work and your own reading. And there really is a lot of great information out there. You've got to dig a bit. Now, the other thing is I do want to mention, and this is for people that are listening, is there there is, and it's not it's not all-inclusive because we, we don't all know each other, but Dr. I want to get her name right. Ch- I don't know if you know her. Dr. Chetra Werta-Liker, she is based out of Colorado. She started a directory. It's called Beyond Words, mm-hmm. and it's an adoptee therapist directory. Yeah, um, I've heard of that. Yes. Yeah. Well, there's there's actually quite a bit of people there now, and so that's that's a good place to start if you're mm-hmm. looking for it. I'll put that in the show notes. 
And even if, if you talk to a therapist who maybe isn't in your area or isn't taking new clients, and right now with the pandemic, it's hard to find a therapist who's taking new clients, definitely they may know someone else. Like, they may be able to offer you a referral. I try my best to always offer a referral if somebody reach out, reaches out that I either can't take on or is not in my area where I'm licensed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Kate, this has been great. And so I guess in closing, is there anything I didn't ask you that you'd like to share with the audience? What I, what I usually would like to say is just if you can find one person to connect with that's kind of at about your place, and in adoption discovery just makes all the difference. And, you know, try out different support groups. Facebook's got a page for just about every way that you might be adopted, you know, that fits your identity. And, and try out a bunch. And if you don't like something, leave and try another one. Look for memoirs that appeal to you. Just get information and, and get, get connected so that you can understand that your experience is normal and you deserve to grieve and you deserve to feel all of your feelings. I guess that's what I would say. Oh, that's good. Yes, I so agree. And I did want to ask you one last question, and that's the newcomer to the adoption community. Do you have any guidance for them? Yeah, that it's probably going to feel, well, if it feels really overwhelming that's normal Normal, yeah um and kind of hang in there as much as you can but also if you're feeling overwhelmed and you need a little break and you need to go do something that's completely unrelated to adoption um yeah do that too breaks are good yeah i would agree i think too because i was overwhelmed when i first Mm -hmm. joined and I, i don't even think i knew i was but somebody said recently to me that she was a reader, like she loved holding a book in her hands. She's new to the community. And she said she found that now she needs to do audio more, like something has happened in her brain because of feeling overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And so I, I would suggest that. It just popped in my head that if you don't want to read, you can listen. You know, there are different ways, as you said, to connect and be open to that, yeah, and, and hang in there. I agree. Yes, and right now, with adoption, you can certainly face content overload. Mm-hmm. And I think where we are in the world right now, we're all facing content overload. Yes. And you want to be mindful and careful with yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Kate, thank you so much for taking the time out to have this conversation. It's been really good. Well, and thank you for inviting me, and thank you for all that you're doing, both with your your memoir, with this podcast, with the writing group. I mean, you're doing so much. Thank you. (laughs) It is so easy being around Kate because her demeanor is calming and refreshing. Whether we are in virtual meetings together or chatting as if we were sitting across from one another like in this shared conversation, we enjoyably vibe together. She's the type of person that if she doesn't have the answer, you're sure to receive a referral from her to guide you in the right direction. Kate's decision to switch careers reminds me that it is never too late to lean into your true strengths and talents. 
An adoptee's career in service to other adoptees is a beautiful decision to benefit the community. Kate is a licensed clinical social worker with a psychotherapy practice in Atlanta, Georgia. She specializes in working with members of the adoption constellation with a focus on adoptees. She knows that processing the loss and grief caused by relinquishment is challenging to do alone. Kate believes it's possible to understand yourself better, take charge, and live with more purpose and joy. Thank you, Kate, for having a conversation with me. I already know that at least one listener will consider or reconsider the opportunity of receiving professional counseling from an adoption-competent therapist like you. If you are an adoptee and would like to share your adoption journey, please visit jenniferdianeghoston.com. Thank you so much for being here, and be sure and follow me on Instagram at Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land.